they could just call it the Grinder Edition. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to Hacker Slash. If you're joining us again, welcome back. This isn't a hotel, it's a nut house. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the party. We are a horror movie review podcast dedicated to telling you whether a movie is a hack, a total joke, a waste of time, or a slash. Totally killer, pun intended. We believe horror is for everyone, and as such, we're rating these movies with the perspective we've all gained from our varying walks of life and the flavors of fear we fancy most. My name is Chris, I'm your friendly neighborhood slasher enthusiast. This week I'm joined by the Superfly Space Guy, Mac. Brooklyn, son. The Gore Lover, Alexis. Hey, everyone. The Cowardly Creeper, Ryan. Hiya. And the Scream Queen, Paris. Hey, sweets. This week we've got a low-budget, early 80s film that's developed a cult following over its lifetime. But before we check out what's in this basket, we have some follow-up. You know who else has a cult following, Chris? It's our podcast. Our listeners are the best. So this year, for the month of October, we're doing something very special. Something that gives our co-hosts a chance to get their favorite movies in the lineup and our listeners a chance to vote on which movies they want us to review. This October, prepare yourself for the co-host clash. Clash, 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 clash. Our co-hosts will go head-to-head fighting for their favorite movies, and you, our listeners, will vote each week to see which film we review. So keep your eye on our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram through the month of October, starting on the 1st, to cast your votes. I hope you're all ready to to lose, because I'm going to win. I'm so excited for this. Those are genuinely fighting words, Mac, and I don't know how to feel about it. (laughs) It's going to be a hacker slash smackdown. Bro, you've never seen me clash before, and I don't lose easily. My picks might be too controversial to win, but we will see. Miss Congeniality is definitely not a horror movie, just FYI. No, but Drop Dead Gorgeous could be. Lord, is that what he picked? No, it's not. But I can't wait to see Ryan Clash. Why do you think she has those nails? (laughs) (laughs) I got tools too, okay? I don't fight fair. Uh Uh-oh. Be careful, Mac. She's coming for you. Finally, I just want to give a shout out to one of our newest patrons, Damien. Damien, hello. First of all, I love your name. Very demonic. Uh, Also, thank you so much for your support. Damien's a demonic name. That's a very intense thing to say about someone's name that they didn't even choose. Okay, but somebody who is now subscribed to a horror movie podcast, I'm sure he will appreciate the compliment. I'd be pissed. (laughs) (laughs) He says that with such love and endearment. Damien, we look forward to hearing from you. It's the highest compliment I have, Damien. And that's our follow-up. In 1982, exploitation filmmaker Frank Henenlotter made his feature film debut with a horror film he poured his entire life savings into. Now, this film was born from Henenlotter's conceptualization of the title, a title that came to him when brainstorming the silliest premise he could possibly think of. He said it, not me. During production, Henenlotter experimented with the film's tone, shifting from shock, suspense, and comedy, and he also believed no one would ever actually watch it. He was proven wrong, however, and the film ultimately played as a midnight showing in a New York City theater for two years after its release. This film follows a pair of brothers traveling through New York on a quest for vengeance against the doctors they hold responsible for their childhood trauma. This week, we're talking about the 1982 film, Basket Case. Who's looked in this basket before? This this was the first time I'd ever opened up this picnic basket, I can tell you that. Yeah, I'd never seen it. I thought this was Baskin from 2015, which is kind of on my list that I want to watch because of the artwork on the front, but it is not this movie. I can tell you that for sure. I also have not seen or heard of this movie before, but for some reason when I heard the title, I was thinking of that one movie where there's like an evil monkey that like has the little symbols. I don't remember what that movie's called, but I feel like it has a similar title. Well, I, much like the filmmaker here, uh, had never seen this movie and never intended to watch it, just like he planned. 
I've heard of this movie before. I know of it as a cult following, but I heard about this from a coworker back when I worked in Virginia with Mac and Ryan. And it was recommended to me as a really great, zany, off-the-wall type of movie. But as much as I respect and adore this person, I also know that his brand of horror is so far from my brand of horror. So it wasn't something that I was particularly looking forward to. But based on his descriptions, I really expected something shocking but charming, B-quality kind of charm. I didn't realize it was going to be like exploitation style at all i expected some quality performances and some nice gritty filmmaking you know this is early 80s could be you know depending on the budget could be like a late 70s style film grain so i expected at least an aesthetic movie uh but uh, i don't know that i could have expected what i was actually in store for I don't think any of us could have. I, for one, as always, tried to do my best to not know anything about this movie before watching it. But when I opened it up on Shudder, the very first words that popped up on my screen were Siamese twins. And I said, what? That's a left turn I hadn't anticipated from a movie called Basket Case. Where the hell are they going to go with this? Yeah, the only thing I looked at was like the artwork, which shows a picture of, I guess you could say, the antagonist or one of the antagonists in the film. And so the only thing I was expecting was just ridiculous special effects. That's the only expectation I had was just a crazy looking prop. I saw that under related was Blood Rage and then a series of other films with covers that looked like something I would hate viciously. <laughs> and so I went in thinking, man, I'm going to try real hard. I'm going to I'm going to open my mind. I'm in a good mood. I'm chilling. Just going to watch this. And uh no, I, you could, you, you really can't have expectations when you go into this. There's no way you can expect what you get out of Basket Case. I didn't intentionally watch the trailer, but I ended up watching it. And the amount of times they say basket in the trailer <laughs> is absurd. So I figured this was going to be a very absurd movie, maybe about a haunted basket. I wasn't sure that something would be in the basket or the premise of it, but I figured it was going to be a goofy, like, it's a haunted basket thing. Now I want to see a movie made about a haunted basket. We'll make it after Halloween. We'll call it the bitch basket. It feels like it might exist. It could. I mean, we had slacks, so. Very true. I will say, though, that despite all of those expectations, the experience of, of basket case, in particular, watching this last night, I wrote down 10 things, and that's it. I find that surprising because I feel like there's so much that's in this movie to react to, but none of it moved me enough to have very many opinions on this movie. And I know that's probably disappointing for a lot of people listening to this episode because I know it has like a really big cult following. People tend to love this and they think it's so charming. But I found that I was just kind of, huh? The whole way through. There were a couple things that I like pointed out to, to consider for later, but mostly it was just like this sensation of bewilderment. Let me just say, when Chris is the one saying that she felt very little during a movie, it's a big deal, right? Paris and I, we show up all the time talking about, eh, I felt, I didn't feel anything during this. That's one thing. If Chris doesn't feel anything, it truly means there was nothing to be felt. And that is 100% true for me as well. That's interesting. I think that bewilderment transferred to kind of intriguing 
For me, I think that bewilderment you felt, Chris, kind of made me feel intrigued by this movie because I wasn't sure how they would go about with this plot or anything. But as the movie and the plot progress, I, you know, I felt very bored. Very bored. Thank you. <laughs> I feel all of this. I, too, wrote very little in my notes. In the beginning, I was kind of like thrown into it. And I was like, I don't know what this is or why I should care yet. Give me something to grasp onto. And then they gave me things to grasp onto and I didn't want to grasp onto those. And I was left with like little investment and I was also very bored. I may or may not have fallen asleep during this one and had to wake up and rewind and, and uh, continue. They really wanted you to grasp something, but that something was like a little slimy and it was uncomfortable and you just had to like let it fall. And lumpy. Yeah. Yeah. Like a booger is what you're saying. They handed us a giant booger and we're like, here, take this. And we're like, ah. I, I knew my feelings right up front. As soon as we hit play, I see like this is like a title card that's, I don't know if it's presented by or preserved by the Museum of Modern Art. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. This, and I've never heard of this. Like, what's this going to be like? And immediately in the first scene, what I just felt was this has to be like a, a, a student film <laughs> or something or some kind of art house thing. This, it's got a certain feeling. I, I can't tell while watching it. I'm thinking, is this a deliberate horror comedy or is this just a like a low budget early 80s horror film? Or is it both somehow? It's just, it's while you're watching, it's kind of hard to, to nail down. And then when you go read the backstory later, it obviously makes more sense. But while I was watching, I just couldn't figure out like, one, why was the movie made? And then two, who made this? This is, it's, it's perplexing. That's really fair. And I think that is such a great summary of this movie and, and the ride that it takes you on. Because Ryan, you mentioned earlier related blood rage and blood rage. I found to be pretty awful, but also really charming in some ways. And I know that a lot of people love Phantasm, and I didn't, because I think it just wasn't for me. I didn't really get Phantasm. And I think that's where this one falls in, in terms of the so bad it's good. It's, like, not quite bad enough to be good. Does that make sense? It's not quite charming enough in its badness to be good for me. And I, I find, I found it difficult to just find like anything that I would cared about. Like there was, what redeeming qualities, you know? I'm kind of confused on what you guys mean by that. Do you mean like you don't hate it? No. So they're kind of ambivalent, right? Because there's nothing so bad that they can just like feel strongly about it. And there's nothing that good to where they can latch onto it. So obviously not great, but you don't hate it for any reason. I guess that's what I'm assuming. Let me be clear. This is not Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was just like slapping you in the face with how terrible it was. Blood Rage was, for me, so bad it's good. And it's dialogue, it's delivery, it's performances. And then this was just walking right down the middle of, what the fuck am I watching? But not in an intriguing enough way. It's more like a, huh. <laughs> it's, it's a very strange feeling. And what I found myself feeling... Is thinking, oh, is this like the origin story of Bib Fortuna from Star Wars? He works in Java's palace. And I'm going to drop a link in our show notes. And for you here right now, I'll, I'll drop a picture in the group chat. Ew. Look at that guy and tell me that's not Belial. <laughs> it is. I hate it. It's Belial. If Belial had a budget, right? This is budget Bib Fortuna. And I think that's the thing that really surprises me because what I heard about this was like this really great zany experience. I heard the effects were really great and some of them are. 
some of them, like the quality of the effects, don't look like they belong in a movie of this budget and of this caliber. But then looking at the actual thing in the basket, it goes from like being semi-intriguing in one point to being what? Um, who made this in the other? And I don't know. I, I found myself really surprised at how mixed of a bag this movie is. I had a, a different reaction. I, I was honestly surprised by how much I enjoyed some of the humor of the hotel tenants, mostly Casey. There's like one character that I actually enjoyed seeing on the screen. Not the main character, but one of the one of the characters in the film. But it, it's small things. It's not like a lot of humor. It's not like, oh man, these these guys are hilarious. Just like they have a couple lines that are like, oh, that's worth a small chuckle, maybe. I missed that. Or I missed all the comedy in this. I mean, it was dry, but not the dry I like. If that makes sense. Like, usually I like it deliberate, you know, the execution as well. This was just like, I wasn't sure if they were trying to make a joke or they were just being awkward. But what surprised me was the gore. I was expecting a little bit of it, but not to this extent. And I really enjoyed it. I thought the effects were done pretty well, but it was nice to see a lot of gore in this. I don't think I could possibly be surprised by anything in this movie because I could not have expected any less of this and it's it's just it's so lackluster for me i think my biggest disappointment is in the technical parts of this movie like why is the audio the way that it is all the way through why does it seem like they're acting to a soundtrack instead of making noises and and I know that there's answers for that. I don't make movies. To me, I think it's surprising that anyone did see this movie when Frank clearly said, I'm gonna make something for no one to see. That's pretty much all. At first, when this movie finished, I was surprised that it was included in the MoMA. And then I remembered the time I went to the MoMA. And I was like, oh, you know what? It is filled with random bullshit. So this movie does kind of have a home in it because it's so, let's say, unique, singular, that it is of note. Artists love nothing more than to just grasp onto something with physically no value whatsoever and just say it's amazing. Let me tell you, okay, this is a hill I'm ready to die on all the time. There's a man that just painted squares in solid colors. And he is like renowned as one of the most monumental artists in the world. And it's like, it's a, it's a blue square. It is a blue square. Mm -hmm. This is that. This is the equivalent of that. Is this an NFT? I was just thinking that. <laughs> the first NFT that nobody wanted. <sighs> but, oh, oh, the first NFT that nobody wanted, but some random theater bought. And so they had to do something with it since they spent Bitcoin on it. If NFT stands for not fucking touching it, then yeah. I think mostly the thing that probably surprised all of us is that this was a cult classic. That's honestly a fair assessment. Now that I'm on the other side of it, and now that I'm seeing what it is and taking it in for what it is. Again, some elements of this, outstanding in terms of its effects. Most of it, though, is such a mixed bag of bad performances that I think are probably lauded as good performances because it's like, oh, but this is the genre that it's supposed to be bad. It's supposed to be really campy and out there. But it's like, no, it just nothing matches up. Nothing makes sense. And not even like in a whimsical sense kind of pattern, right? Like not even like the, hey, take the wheel. I'm here for the ride. I'm just here to enjoy and have a good time. I couldn't have a good time watching this movie. 
And that disappoints me a bit. I will tell you that there are some things in this movie that are a little bit frightening. And it's truly just how gross this thing looks. I think we can agree. This thing is looks, I mean, it's not like it's actually scary. But it, I, imagining that in your mouth is disgusting. Ew, in your mouth. It's all he does. Gets in people's mouths. That is true. Hands and mouths. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting. But I, I think they also remove some of the credit that it earns by being gross by the way that they show it in relation to some other characters. It's like a, in a friendly way, it kind of removes some of the, the scariness that might even be there. Because there are characters that interact with it nicely, and it just makes it look hilariously silly. I don't know. Even the hotel is gross. The hotel just feels gross to me. I don't know. I think the only thing that's scary about this would be one of the characters throwing a tantrum and how the sound is like screeching in my ear still, still. And I can't stand that. And that was very frightening to me. I have to talk about something that is somewhat related. And that is the mouth sounds in this movie are horrific okay there's like five minutes of mouth noises happening during like an eating scene and it is similar to that scream and it is just like this movie audibly will ruin your day ruin your day it it is not okay what happens in this movie it's the equivalent of going to lunch with someone you're not really close friends with, but you're like, you know, I'll be nice to them. They seem they seem like they're all right. And then they eat with their mouths open the entire time. That's the equivalent for me. Well, with a microphone into your headphones. Exactly. Oh, my God. Yeah. The few times that I did fall asleep, I was shortly thereafter awoken to blood curdling screams. And that's no fun for anybody. But I will say looking at the little guy was actually pretty scary. Like the more you look at him, the more you're just like, I hate that. I don't want to see that ever again. If I walked into a room and that was there, I would be terrified. But also there's a terrible, terrible movie that I don't recommend anybody watch called Monsterd. And it's exactly what you think it is. And they, the two characters had a lot of the same energy. Sounds like something I will never watch. Until the patrons pick it. (laughs) (laughs) Until the co-hosts clash. Maybe I'm not surprised because I've already seen like the Ninja Turtles cartoon back in the day. And basically this, this evil thing is Krang, the disembodied brain. That's effectively what, what this, this thing was for me. But dirty and killer. The fingers, I think the fingers make it worse. Cause they're like, the fingers are like thumbs. They're not like regular fingers. It's like somebody had nothing but big toes. Ew. Well, with all that being said, unfortunately, this movie gets points for, for originality for me. I ain't seen this. Oh, absolutely. Undoubtedly. This is a very original film. It does. I mean, it's avant-garde in so many different ways. And it's bold. I mean, the man was experimenting and just figuring his way out through filmmaking. He hadn't really made a feature film before. So, you know, if anything, like this, this is a singular product, as you said, Paris. Completely agree. I don't think I could have said it any better. Okay. So obviously it's got a unique feel, but I thought that the ending was surprisingly fitting for the movie that we watched. Um, I, I thought the way that it wrapped things up, I was okay with. I'm sorry? Like it made sense based on the story we just watched. Yeah, it was satisfying for sure. You were okay with the ending? Yeah. Well, let's be clear. I don't know that he's okay with the entire third act, but like the final action that happens? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, okay. The final scene. Sure. The end end, not the pre-end. Sure. The preamble to the end leaves much to be desired. Oh, could not be worse. Maybe the worst thing I've ever seen on film in my entire life. Oh, 
we will talk about that for sure. I will agree with you, Mac. I actually really enjoyed the ending to this film. What I don't enjoy is the idea that this ending leaves you with a particular conclusion and then you know that there are sequels, like there's other films in this franchise and it undoes the ending of this. I don't know that it completely undoes, but it definitely proves wrong the thing that you think happens at the very end of this. However, there's this whole theme in this movie about, you know, the burden of family and having to support people. And that is something I can get really into. So really what we needed in this movie was Dom from Fast and Furious with the power of family. Chris, you are such an angel trying to give merit to what happens in this movie. Okay. It's a very real thing. Yes, but this is not the time. Right. But it's like the burden of caretakers. It really is. Like, it's a very sad thing. Like, especially when you think about, like, how much life is passing you by. Like, so many people out there having to care for someone who can't care for themselves. I respect the burden of caretakers. I do not want to give any credit to this movie for anything it may have done because nothing worked. And I, the, the two things are not related, even though they may seem to be vaguely, they're truly not the, it, the, no relevance. I can't give credit. Well, I think we know how this is going to go, but let's go ahead and make our way to our ratings. Now, before we actually score basket case, Alexis, how many people died in this film? We have a total of nine deaths in this film. Wow, that's more than I expected. Really? Yeah, for, I thought it was like four. <laughs> that tells you the lackluster of everything in this movie. But not the gore. Yeah, I was going to say, if anything, the deaths were some of the best parts of it. But what about our animal report? Yeah, you know, depending on what you consider an animal, generally speaking, the animal report is clean. No New York City mice in this piece. That's true. No mice. Fortunately, the last thing this movie needed was the addition of New York City mice. Could you imagine New York City mice being fed to this thing in the basket like the hot dogs? I can. It might be a good solution, though. Well, let's go ahead and get into our ratings basket case from 1982. Was it a hack or a slash? This is going to be a quick one for me. I spent most of the movie laughing at it and not with it. That makes it a total joke and thus a hack. I wish I laughed at it because I didn't. I was just like, what am I watching the entire time? Although it had some points where I was very intrigued, it still didn't hold my attention as well as I wanted it to. And that's really all I have to say about this movie. So I am giving this a definite hack. Well, none of this is surprising. Even if this isn't as bad as it is, it's not my kind of movie, right? You guys know the the word zany to me <laughs> is like the devil's word. Like, please keep it away from me. You know, I just can't. That word, if you use that word to describe anything, I don't need to be a part of it. I don't need to be near it. It's not for me. I already know that. But here's my beef. There's things like we've talked about. There's blood rage. There's phantasm that I hated. But I can see merit. I can see why somebody would like it. I have some quirky friends. I understand why they like Phantasm. But at some point, we have to like call the BS on these like cult classics. I know this is some people's section of horror. We love you still. We hope you stay. I don't want to make enemies here. But we have to call the BS where it is. And this is not a good movie. You can like bad movies, and that's fine. But this is not a good movie. And therefore, this is a very strong hack. And I hope that everyone still loves us after this. I just want to remind everyone that not only did Mac give this a hack, he also gave Fear Street 1994 a hack. And those two things don't belong in the same company. 
Right. He's like all over the place. Well, don't worry, because looking into the future, I see some slashes coming up for me. So it's not going to be forever. I was going to do a whole bit where I pretended to fake out and like pretend I actually like this movie, but I, I don't even think I could pull that off. This is one of the top five worst movies we've ever watched. It's dumb. It's bad. I can't think of anything redeeming about it. I did laugh out loud one time, but it was because of a wig, and I don't think I was supposed to laugh. Uh, so there you go. It's a hack. It's a hard, clear hack. Don't watch this movie. Don't put that upon yourself. This movie, like I said, I wrote down about 10 things, and I'll give you a quick gist because this really weighs down into my scoring. One, the noises in the beginning of this movie sound like the iguanas walking on top of my house. And that could be like a cute, endearing thing. Like, okay, all right, this is familiar. I've lived this. But then it goes into the acting in this is very rough. And then it goes into the lighting in this is just so bad. And not poorly lit necessarily. They really tried some things and didn't even make it look like dingy New York. It was very much like... Mac, you said earlier, a student film, I don't know how to light things, so I have my Scooby-Doo shadows everywhere. And not like streetlights coming in through the window, so there are shadows, you know, deliberately placed on someone's face. This movie is haphazard, much like the lighting in it. And ultimately, my first note, I'm sorry, why is this preserved in a museum? And I don't understand. And again, it's original, it's singular, I get it, but I don't get the hype around this one. And look, there are a lot of people who are going to love this movie. I 100% hear you. I'm excited to hear what you see in it, really. But for me, it's a hack. And it's one that didn't move me in much of any way. So with that, Basket Case is more like a hack at case. Now, you can find this movie streaming online if you're curious. Again, it's a cult classic. So if anything, consider it a rite of passage. However... Regardless of whether or not you watch it, join us in the second half so we can look in the basket together. See you in a bit. Formerly conjoined twins, still joined at the hip. How do they pack when going on a trip? Throwing in a suitcase? I think not. Get a brother basket and head out in a trot. Hey there, folks. Keep your monstrously deformed, formerly conjoined twin cozy in one of our hand-woven baskets. Guaranteed to keep your little sister or brother cool, comfy, and hidden from prying eyes. Don't let them lie in a casket. Keep your twin in a brother basket. Welcome back, folks. You are now entering the spoiler zone for Basket Case, which has earned a universal hack. Surprise, surprise. We have a lot to unpack here, but before we get into the specifics of our ratings, we do have a bit of gore to attend to. Alexis, what's the gore score for this movie? I waited up until now to, you know, really analyze the gore. And, you know, when I look back, I feel like there is a lot. In the moment, I felt like there was a lot too, but now when I'm like putting myself in shoes of someone who's watching this in the 80s and essentially now too, there is a ton of gore. So I give this a high gore score, especially for one scene that we're talking about specifically. So they actually try to make this film appeal to a comedy crowd. And the original distributor cut out all of the gore scenes, which I'm upset about. But don't worry, because they eventually put them back in. And they re-release this in theaters with the subtitle, The Full Uncut Version, which I think is a great way to market this, because I can't imagine this movie without any gore. I feel like this movie deserves the title, Uncut. 
You know, all the rest of them are usually lying. They could just call it the grinder edition. Ugh, untethered. I don't know if uncut is the correct word. I mean, I get what you're saying, Ryan, but one of the most iconic scenes for me, and I know we'll talk about the kills in a moment, the most iconic, like very gore scene was the operation. It was so traumatizing watching that. And even knowing it was from the 80s, I was still like, this is crazy. The practical effects that were done and the sounds, the, the sound. sound, the sound was the worst part of that scene. It was like somebody like grabbing an apple with their hands and ripping it in half slowly. What? An apple? An apple. Like, you yeah. know, that would be like nearly impossible, but it just had that cracking to it that made it so miserable. The cracking. Yeah, it absolutely did. I personally think when they were trying to put little dude to sleep, it, it, there was just a lot of Things look like dicks. <laughs> I did not notice this. This is true. Thank you. I knew Paris would notice. For some reason, I was like, I know for sure Paris will have my back on this. He had his like arms out, right? He's like a little dude with a head with his arms out. But his arms like stretched out and his skin and like these veins underneath and everything. And they just kept showing that scene. And I was like, I think they're trying to do this on purpose. I think this is supposed to look like a dick. Is this whole movie just one guy thinking with his dick? maybe but then his dick kills people and then he literally thinks with his dick and it pisses off the other dick it's just a brain and a dick evidently it's my dick in a box literally and figuratively i do love that attack of the killer scrotum (laughs) this whole thing had a lot of scrotum energy stop it so there were nine kills which ryan was surprised about but they were all to me extremely gory and deserve some notoriety i want to know what y'all's favorite deaths are So I'm actually going for one that was less gory on screen, but I almost have to just go for it based on principle, which is the dad getting hot dog sliced in half by a gigantic circular saw. Yeah, could be the best hot dog slice this year. Yeah, mostly because it doesn't happen on camera. (laughs) Are we saying this is OG hot dog slice? I think this is OG hot dog slice. But wasn't it hamburger cut? It was like straight down the middle, wasn't it? No. No. Am I thinking about it wrong? I think so, because... His legs, literally, one went left, the other went right. It's like a hot dog bun. Okay, this is like when they tell you to fold the paper hot dog style or hamburger style, and you're like, I don't know what the hell you mean. That's, so that's you I'm mixed up in my brain. So <laughs> Just go with it, Mac. Same thing as Terrifier. Split down the middle. We've been talking about hot dog style for so long. How could you not know? When I, when I was watching it, it looked like they cut him through his midsection at the right place to make his legs fall off, too. Kind of. He swooshes right on screen for some reason, but when you look at the actual from the waist down footage, his legs are split down the middle and one falls one way, one falls the other. Here's the thing about this movie. Exactly. I wouldn't (laughs) say it was really strong for continuity. And, you know, maybe one scene someone's leaning right, the next scene they're leaning left. These things weren't matching up, okay? So you can't think about it too hard. Speaking of hot dogs, my favorite death was actually Dwayne's death at the end. And I think that was my, I think it was the best one of the film because leading up to it, the siblings are having a fight and you can actually feel some of the anger that they were having between themselves. I don't know how you make a puppet emote, but somehow you could tell that like they were upset with each other, but mostly because the whole crotch grab thing was so ridiculous, you know, just like lifting him into the air. And then eventually they, they died, you know, just dangling from this thing outside, but uh, I, I found it to be a fitting ending, but also that kill, I, I think, was the best one. Definitely had some scary movie energy with that dick grab. I'm real sad for you when you see Basket Case too. but my favorite death is going to be 
Dr. Cutter. I promise it's not just now hitting me that her name is Cutter and she cuts. But it was an absurd death. Truly my favorite was the dad, but this is like a good runner-up. I didn't like the length of the scream and the stare into the camera, but the idea of all those scalpels in her face, it was certainly theatric. That scream genuinely sounds like an ambulance siren coming down the coming down the street. That was the worst scream I've ever heard in a movie. So I'm going to go for Dr. Needleman as mine because all the good ones were taken. Dr. Needleman's death is really where we first get a good look at Belial. And that is when I knew that this movie was going to be a hack. Seeing a grown adult man chased by this not grown adult man around an office and then absolutely gutted and had his claws dug into his innards while blood splattered absolutely everywhere was actually pretty entertaining. I was also pretty freaked out because I was like, wait, that thing is so dumb and so ugly. It's just like a giant lumpy face with hands. But if that killed me, I would be so miserable. That would be terrifying. I applaud all of you because I had notes for all of them, um, especially Dr. Cutter when she had all the scalpels in her face. It was just so crazy to look at. I give honorable mention to Mickey, his death. I know you don't see much of it on screen, but the aftermath is kind of crazy to see all these scars on his face. But I want to talk about what made me give this a hack for this movie, very similar to Paris. It was seeing Sharon's death. And I was confused if there was some sexual stuff going on at the end of that. Oh, that was definitely assault. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it was meant to be confusing. So definitely assault with the fondling and the groping. And I thought that's where it stopped until you look back and it's when Dwayne is coming into the room and you realize there's blood on her lap underneath him. And that is fucking disgusting. Yeah, that was just a little too much for me. Obviously not a favorite kill, but I thought it was worth noting because that definitely turned me off. We all agree it's the worst kill? Absolutely. That was actually noted in my notes here. It has no place, right? And this is what I don't like about exploitation films. It's literally just exploiting women. Well, also, let's also talk about how we didn't need Dwayne running naked down the street either. When he starts running naked on the street, all of a sudden you're like where is this movie going and why is it taking me there and how quickly can I get off this train? Didn't need a single bit of any of it. No. Also, don't ever poke nipples like that. Oh, Thank you. That little bastard was nefarious this whole movie and Sharon's death was completely unnecessary. But I do want to remove that and kind of get back to a little bit of the positive energy in this movie. And that is, this little man has range. Like, he can really do a lot. And when you think about him scaling walls, you think about him, you know, uh, manipulating TV sets, flipping up bedposts, things like that. I mean, he has some range, and I do admire a bit of the puppetry that went into it. Yeah, so I'm not going to say that I admire all of it, but I do have a couple of cool facts about the the magic behind the scenes, you know? So one of the shots where Belial is reaching towards the TV. His hands are being puppeted by the director, Frank, and he's stuffed inside the dresser during that scene. So it is not only this monster on top of a dresser reaching for a TV, there's also a man inside the dresser, inside the puppet, reaching for the TV. The layers to this movie. Absurdity upon absurdity, honestly. Yeah. And then for another absurd one, there's a shot of Bilal supposed to be exploding through a window during the first attack. 
and they had to cut the scene because every time they threw him through the window, he bounced off the glass. (laughs) (laughs) He's basically a rubber ball. Honestly. Basically. I would love to have been there to watch that. I don't know if I'd ever take this movie seriously. I'd argue that he does bounce a bit in this movie as it is. He's a little bouncy. I'm not going to lie. There's definitely a, a rubber element to him. But with that being said, he is definitely not my favorite visual element. My favorite visual element is this hotel and especially the congregation at the front desk that are like drunk, trash talking, rolling eyes at each other, just being ridiculous. For me, I just wanted to like exist in that disgusting, grungy hotel with hand sanitizer and just like listen to them talk all day and watch all the weird things they do. You know, the, the vibe of the setting is really my my favorite thing visually. Like everything does feel grimy and, and it just worked so perfectly for for this movie. I mean, New York City was honestly like the star of the show here because it just made you feel gross. Like just looking at it, looking at all the people watching the drug dealer walk up to him and, and try to sell him some goods and have him not know what's going on. Come on, Dwayne, you know what's going on. But it just like seeing all the characters interact with each other, seeing this supposed hotel they were in was I think the best thing to see. Mm. You guys have a lot of love for this hotel and I didn't like any bit of it. It's all grungy. It's all dirty. It's all gross. It all looks like you would see a guy wearing a white shirt with yellow pit stains, but like also not just on his pits, like literally everywhere. And I will say the one thing I enjoyed about the hotel is the neon sign from which they hang at the end. Ooh, that was a great looking sign. That's so true. That was very satisfying to see in like a couple of random shots and then to be the end shot. Very nice. That is true. That's a a notably successful visual element in this movie. However, my favorite was notably unsuccessful, and that is Sharon's wig. The moment I saw her on the screen, I laughed very hard out loud. And I said, wow, okay, wig. Because one, it's enormous. The volume is wildly unrealistic, but kind of gorgeous. Would you like to know why that wig is there? Honestly, maybe not. I kind of like just the the mystery of it all, but tell me. It's there because the actress was actually in a punk band at the time, and she was bald. Ooh, uh, I love that. All bald women are hot. It would have been such a great look if they just left her bald. It would have been awesome. But then it was also a really funny continuity piece because sometimes the wig would be parted on one side and it would cut back and it's parted on the other side. So it was just fun to watch that hairline jump around. Continuity. As Ryan said. Yeah, this this is not the one. I'm just saying. Paris, I, like you, did not have a favorite element. The shakiness of the camera, the rampage and Belial's on the ground moving that looks so fake and maybe they shouldn't have done that. So I'm going to have to just give it for Greg Brady's hair. I mean, <laughs> Dwayne's hair. You didn't like the stop motion? I mean, that was... I was watching Cl- I was watching Gumby. Yeah, that was proper B-movie. Whoa. Hey, you don't slander Gumby that way. Gumby is a masterpiece. This is far from it. I know what to expect with Gumby. I'm not slandering it. I know what that is. And I love it for what it, the purpose it's doing. It is claymation. But you do not compare this to Gumby, madam. This is sixth grader in the tech ed class who's learning stop animation. <laughs> it looks like every middle schooler who's using stop motion to film their Legos. All right. If they can do it, then I can do it for sure. Honestly, to be fair, you could. And... I know that this is the part where I'm supposed to say a favorite scene, but I only have a least favorite scene. And my least favorite scene is aside from the part that we've already talked about, the 
sex situation. My least favorite scene is the claymation. It's horrible. I didn't want to see it. And they did it twice. And the second time I was like, really? Again? I can't believe you didn't find a favorite scene because there's a couple that stand out since the rest of it's so mediocre. For me, that that favorite scene was Dwayne getting drunk with Casey. Ooh, okay, that was really good. Right? Such a solid scene. And the only okay use of going back in time and showing us some exposition, right? Like, he's telling the story. She thinks he's joking. She realizes he's nuts. And then we go back in time. And it, it kind of worked out well. Mm. See, I think that adds to my favorite scene being what it is because of the emotional impact you get there. Not that there's much, but in theory, right? You write it on paper, it makes sense. It's when Dwayne is confronting Belial and is so angry and upset and really just, he's built up this entire time. He's exasperated. He just wants a little time to himself. He wants a little moment to enjoy life and enjoy the company of a woman that somehow wants to be around him. And it's when they're fighting and he's just screaming and shouting all of this and, and wondering if this is what he has to look forward to the rest of his life. And I think it was one of the more serious moments in the movie, and it's one of the ones that worked the best. Yeah, I feel that, Chris, especially when they had the rewind with the dad. It went from comedy for me, and then it made me sort of feel bad for the situation that was going on. But definitely my favorite scene is when Dr. Cutter is having dinner with a special guest. <laughs> and she goes... Okay, I like you when you're drunk. You're cute when you're sober, which is kind of, I wasn't sure what she was trying to do with that, but I definitely love the delivery, and I wanted to quote that. Did she call him Cuddles? Did I hear that right? Yes, she did. (laughs) Yeah, and she thinks he's cute when he slobbers. And really, if the tables were turned, like the double standards are real, because we would not be okay with that scene if it was Dr. Cutter- the man doing that to a female guest. And I don't know. I didn't like any of her, but I I do think that was a, a bit of comedy that worked in the movie where I think some of the other comedy bits didn't. Did she not kind of sound like Sigourney Weaver sometimes? She absolutely did, Mac. She also semi looked like Sigourney Weaver in certain lighting with like some of her contours being highlighted in a certain way. Yeah, definitely picked up on the Sigourney vibes there. One thing I didn't really pick up on, though, was a favorite scene. But what stands out currently is early in the movie when Casey comes into his apartment and she's kind of like being nosy, but also being like kind of gorgeous in her own way and sort of just telling him, hey, you got to be careful around these parts. People are just going to take advantage of it. This guy's peeping through your keyhole and then just enters in his like and pushes him aside and goes into his apartment. It's like, what do you have going on in here? Like just inserting herself into the situation. I found her to be like very charming. And she was something I would, that helped me to stay grounded to this movie and tethered to something. I think we can agree that you would be Casey. I think we can. If not the wig, I would be Casey. Would you be as friendly? No, no, no. But just as nosy. Nosy, not cozy. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but also, was she a sex worker? Maybe, probably. Because if so, then yes. I don't think it was explicitly stated or shown. She works hard for the money. I think it's New York in the 80s. They just like, anytime a girl's not wearing like full coverage, she becomes implied sex worker. It makes me think of Maniac. I did love her character. To me, she was the only one that had some soul to her and some sort of, I don't know, she was just very warm to me compared to everyone else who was very lackluster, even especially Dwayne. Everyone just fell flat for me. Yeah, I I will agree. I felt almost nothing about Dwayne. Although when we get that flashback, 
there was a little more to his character. But before that, I was just like, who is this man? And why does he think I care about what he is doing in the city? I dare say young Dwayne is a better actor than old Dwayne. Honestly, yes. Old Dwayne made some really weird choices that weren't even consistent throughout the movie. I was like, are you unhinged? Are you casual? Are you cool? Are you losing your damn mind? So true. And there's a moment where he's like, I'm having a bad day and blah, blah, blah. And the girl that I care about, I don't know what's going on. I was like, oh, the girl you met yesterday that you saw for five minutes and kissed in the park. Okay. Great dialogue here. The first woman who's given him attention outside of his old aunt's who's now dead, and the female doctor who helped cut his brother off of him. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a whole weird thing for him. But I do like the blueprint of the characters that we have in this movie. And again, this is one that really focuses on this idea of, like, the burden of caregivers and and brothers and, like, the obligation that Dwayne has to Belial. And I really would not mind seeing this movie remade in a more serious tone to explore that some more. I don't think the execution hits at all in many ways, but the characters in this feel like there's some substance there that could be worked with had it not been as hit or miss along the way. For me, the only characters that I enjoyed in this movie are the clan of random people we have at this hotel because they give me real people. Like I, I feel like I've met some of these people. These are Northeast. Like the man that owns this place feels like someone I know. And each of these people with different stories and everything in this hotel pissed off about loud noise. I mean, this feels like a hotel in New York. These feel like people in a hotel in New York. And that's the only thing that I could connect with here. I'll just be, you know, straightforward about it. I didn't care about none of the doctors. I didn't care about the family. I didn't care about the boys. I didn't care about anything else. It's so true. I mean, if if you go through the characters that die in the film, pretty much most of them, you're like, okay, whatever. And and I feel that's kind of sad because you're supposed to hate them and you don't really hate them. You just don't care one way or the other. The doctors should be shown to be more monstrous than they were. They were just like, goofballs really they were they were just idiots like oh i don't know nothing about nothing i i don't even remember that that was 20 years ago but like you said chris if you go back and like look at how they're supposed to be like needleman's supposed to be really like gross and you're supposed to hate him and like oh i just this guy's a douchebag if you go to uh cutter cutter's supposed to be like emotionless and and completely lacking empathy and you can see that like a little bit but i feel like if it was just really well acted and well produced and everything you might just be like oh man i really hate them i can't wait for them to die and instead we're just kind of like okay now a death is going to be shown on screen okay the one moment that I got concerned about a character was when Casey sees Belial and it looked like Belial was going to kill Casey. I was just like, Oh, don't kill her. No, best part of the movie. What are you doing? Very true. <laughs> Casey is certainly one of the best parts in the movie. And really, I think it ties into the greater best part of the movie. And that is like the sense of community within this building. And I know that Ryan, you've talked about it a lot. Like the people in this building are the only ones you care about. But the nosiness of those neighbors is about the only thing that anyone can really relate to, unless you're in the situation that Dwayne is in, where your whole life is devoted to taking care of someone else who can't care for themselves. The people being upset about a ruckus, honestly, relatable, best part of the movie. Yeah, mine will be really simple because I just went on a rampage about this. It's them and especially Casey, the best part for sure. I also really enjoyed Sharon. 
even though she had a little bit of a desperate energy to her, I thought she had a bit of brevity and she added a lightness to this movie that made it more tolerable than it would have been without her. So shout out to my girl Sharon in that wig. And I will just say, great boobs. Sorry that they had to be shown this way. Oh, so sorry. They Like, worst part, the boobs getting touched by those hands. Yeah, if it was appropriate for me to say her boobs were the best part, but they really are. <laughs> it's appropriate. You're an adult. You can do whatever you want. This is our podcast. We we do whatever we want. And I was like, I want those. I will have to say I have to be typical and I usually don't do something this broad for my best part or worst part, but definitely the gore in this, I believe, is the best part of this movie. I think breaking it down to the simple structure of the story is actually the best part. The execution is obviously not the best, but if you look at you know the two brothers being forcibly separated and being hated by their father and being loved by their aunt and then going to get revenge later only to end up fighting with each other after all of this trauma over years i think like that works for a hallmark special if you wanted it to it's just like a good like decent story structure oh i could agree with that the potential in this movie on paper unreal the execution leaves much to be desired and hence i will not be watching it again i may give a shot to some of the other movies in the franchise, if I'm feeling real loosey-goosey one night with a little bit of a drink. But beyond that, I, I could care less about revisiting this. Yeah, I don't need to see this again. Never. But I would like to go backwards and never have watched it. And I know we say that we're going to watch every movie, but bless the day that we have to watch the second one. I think I'm going to be sick that day. Uh, one question, though, just so that I don't ever have to watch this again. When... Dwayne is running naked through the city at night. Was that Belial manifesting into Dwayne and running to assault Sharon? It's like a dream slash psychic connection. So really, Belial was traveling on his way to Sharon, and Dwayne was having a dream seeing himself running naked because Belial is naked. Say what it is. A wet dream. <laughs> oh, God. A cold dream, apparently. But it's wet with blood. Dwayne wasn't wet with blood. And just like that, I will never have to watch this again. Thank you. Well, while we may not be revisiting this movie ourselves, there is surprisingly a lot to learn about it. And I will say that I think some of the background of this movie does earn charming points here and there. But let's see what Mac has in store for us for Factor Fiction. Number one, Beverly Bonner, who plays Casey, impressed the director, Frank Henenlotter, so much that he expanded her role to what we finally saw in the film, and she's been in all of his films. I think this is all of his films, <laughs> and she didn't impress him. She was already supposed to be a big part of it, because I feel like she's really important. So, fiction. I'm going to say fact. I'm going to say fact, but I also agree that this is all of his films. Okay, so this one's... This one's a fact. So she initially had a much smaller role, but then her portrayal super impressed him. So he made her basically like the secondary character. Honestly, I don't care about Sharon that much, but she has also been in all of his other films and he has other films. Go look it up. It's crazy to think, but hey, everyone deserves a chance at growth. So there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Number two, Kevin Van Hentenrich, who played Dwayne tripped and twisted his ankle during one of the takes of his nude running scene. So the final cut we get, he has a slight limp. Fact. I noticed that. Fiction seems too easy for you to give us this as a fact. Yeah, I'm going to say fact. I bet Mac noticed that too and was like, oh, I'll use that for fact or fiction. All right, so this one's a fiction because 
while he does have that slight limp, he was in a motorcycle wreck before filming. So the twisted ankle thing, I made that up. Uh, surprisingly, they didn't have a permit to shoot, of course. Um, so they would remove anything that might actually trip him up and then drop him off in a van, shoot the shot, then pick him up down the block and do it again on another street. So, yeah, you know, maybe it's worth getting a permit to shoot somebody nude. Just saying. They could have just not shot that scene. Honestly, not once or twice. Another option. Number three. Originally, the film was set to end with Belial walking around Manhattan. Unfortunately, the filmmakers realized they didn't have the cash or the ability to make that scene happen. Fact. I'm going to say fact. I'm going to say fiction because I feel like it was very like poetic and visually compelling the way it ended. So I'm hoping that they had that planned. Oh boy. This one's actually a fact. Ugh. But you know what they had the budget to go film instead of this ending scene? Homeboy running around the street naked. <laughs> Number four, small budget and a small crew lead to the credits being nearly full of fake names as to avoid just scrolling through the same names over and over. Fact. Feels like Frank. I'm struggling. I don't know if they would actually do that, but you know, maybe a lot of people are working for free in the 80s. So I'm going to say fiction. I'll say fiction too. Nice. This one is a fact though. One of the names credited is Watson Pritchard, a character from the house on Haunted Hill. And finally, number five. When strolling through New York scouting for locations, the director ended up in a bar and befriended the owner, who was so interested in the project, he offered the use of the bar as a location for the film, of course, at a slightly discounted rate. I feel like the budget for this was too low. Doesn't matter, they were not filming in New York City, so fiction. Oh, I think they were filming in New York City, and so therefore fact. Yeah, I definitely got actual New York vibes, so... This does seem like a good way to make money if you're a bartender who has a bar that doesn't get a lot of traffic. So I'm going to say fact. All right. So this one's a fiction because I just made all of that up except for the fact that it was filmed in New York. The bar was actually shot in a Manhattan S&M club. The basement shots were also shot in the same club. They just had to hide the sex swing and sex toys. Wait, what's it called? I may have been there. It was in the 80s. Yeah, but some of them are still around. I am not surprised. So the club that they shot in is now known as the Hellfire Club. Oh my god. Okay, I've actually been there before. How did you not recognize it? Decades of renovation, I would hope. It obviously looks exactly the same. Well, that's been Factor Fiction. Well, there you have it, folks. Basket Case from 1982, despite being a cult classic in our country and our world, has earned a universal hack on our show. Now, obviously, there are a lot of folks out there who care about this film and have loads of positive things to say about it, and we want to know what those positive things are. Or the negative, if you agree. Keep in mind, there are a number of ways you can reach out to us, starting with our website, hackerslash.com. And on our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you are really into baskets, please reach out to our Hackerslash hotline. You can leave us a voicemail at 757-606-0128 or visit hackerslash.com slash contact to send us an audio message. Or if you keep your brother in a basket, you can send us an email to feedback at hackerslash.com. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, consider becoming one of our patrons like Damien. You can visit patreon.com slash hackerslash to earn cool perks for as low as $1 a month. We'll see you next time, folks. And remember, be not afraid, for the aisle is full of sights, sounds, and sweet airs that give delight and hurt not. Bye. Bye.